The Once and Future Nerd is independently produced. If you're enjoying the show and would like to support us, visit onceandfuturenerd.com support to find out how you can help. Listening to this show on an iOS device? Leave us a rating on iTunes, please. The Once and Future Nerd. Book One, Princes of Jordan. Chapter Five, The Worthiest Knight. Episode Three. Brennan and Regan had just deduced that a dangerous knight by the name of Jasper Frieshelm, executioner for Ardell Redmore, was in pursuit of the remainder of our party. They had also just deduced that Jen was suspected of murdering an officer of the law, that someone in their party had burned down a tavern, and that Angie Fallon and her husband were amenable to allowing a third sexual partner into their marriage. Well, that, that last point was deduced mostly by Regan. In the mud outside Fallon's Inn, Brennan had found seven sets of horse prints in perfect formation. This last detail being very unusual for Armstrong Guard, Brennan and Regan followed the tracks at a jog, hoping they would lead to Sir Frieshelm. Gather didn't help us. How did that come to this? Billy probably started some shit with McShane. Not that there weren't a million good reasons to off that motherfucker, but I'm sure Billy found a stupid one. I know you fuck kids and all, but what really gets me is what you said about me, or my mom, or Jen's ass. I don't know. Why am I doing this? I'm having a really hard time understanding the motivations of someone I have no respect for. I'd counsel you to try harder, Your Grace. We'll never find the truth that way. Yeah, fair enough. Anyways, fuck you, and fuck your stupid face. And fine, Billy's probably good for one decent dummy punch, so the fucker falls and happens to grab at a table as he goes. A knife happened to be sitting on the table, he knocks it over, nicks his throat, and the town rumor mail turns it into a stabbing. Then Jen comes in and sees. Billy? Oh no, this is terrible, but... I'll stand by you because I only like myself when boys like me. Of course, that's exactly when the city god shows up. Halt! In the name of the council and people of Armstrong Guard. Someone I'm obsessed with protecting actually needs my protection for once. I'm getting out of here. So he fucks off to Yellowhold, and Jen's there, standing over a bloody corpse with a thumb up her ass. Possible. Or, suppose the death happened exactly as you said. But then Jen said to Billy, Give me the knife and flee by... Galadin's grace. I am having some difficulty capturing young Jen's manner of speaking. You get a feel for it with practice. Like choking a man. Which reminds me, you want to know something about Fallon? <laughs> As I was saying, flee, Billy. I'll take the blame. They'll be more lenient with a girl. Gods, I hope she's not that stupid. They ran along horse tracks in the mud for still a while longer, but unsurprisingly gained little ground. Stop, we gotta stop. We must not lag your grace. Brennan, we're not gonna outrun horses. We're gonna try and figure out where they're going and get there before they do. It's the only way to get out in front of this freeze-arm guy. You don't understand how tough this man is. He'll be relentless. Yeah, but the kids will need the rest at some point. I just hope the elf and the preacher are... brilliant. Needless to say, that was not the descriptor Brennan was expecting. 
He stopped his run suddenly. What is it? You see that rocky hill over there? About three miles that way? Hey. There's a monastery up top. The way up's a bitch. Damn near impossible for horses. As an acolyte, Nia may have been allowed lodging there. And I know a back door. This way. Some hours earlier, Nia had indeed led Yellowine and the children through the tunnels to the very same inn, owned by Regan's friend, Jackie Fallon. Yellowine surveyed the establishment skeptically. And this place is? Not currently on fire or surrounded by city guard. Can we get some food here? I'm fucking starving. Food is a charitable description, but they usually have a few things available which resemble mattresses. The group procured food and then rooms for a brief rest. At her first opportunity, Jen pulled Billy into one of the rooms, pushed him onto a straw bed, and began kissing him aggressively. She scratched at his armor, searching for the latch that would release his codpiece. Jen, are, are you like, are you okay? Come on, come on, I feel good. Are, are you sure? Yes. Billy had a difficult time refusing amorous attention, so he accepted this answer briefly. But the situation became too abnormal even for Billy, and so he managed to push Jen away long enough to speak. Really? What is your deal? I don't know. Everything that's happened since we've been here? Are you gonna fuck me or what? Taken somewhat aback by Jen's direct language, Billy pushed the girl off of him and stood up. I don't like you like this, Jenny. Like what? I don't know. You're, you're not yourself. What does that mean? What is myself like? You're freaking me out, okay? I thought you wanted to be a man. Confusion, fear, and hurt battled for dominance on Billy's face. He stared uncomprehendingly at his girlfriend before storming out of the room, punching the wall on his way and slamming the door behind him. Nia happened to be heading up the stairs just in time to observe Billy's exodus. With some trepidation, she knocked on the door that the boy had just slammed. Jen, are you decent? Leave me alone. Nia entered the room regardless. I said, leave me alone. This needs to stop. You barely talk to the guys when they in the cave. Why do I have to get cross-examined? You know well enough that theirs was an accident. And this isn't an examination. It's an offer of guidance. Well, I don't want guidance. Down in the common room, Yellowin and Nelson still sat at the bar. Nelson was, with extreme effort, aligning the prongs of his fork with the tip of his knife. Yellowin was engaged in some argument with Fallon. Do you mean to tell me you can't prepare a simple honeyed milk with rose water? Watch yourself or you wind up on your splintery ass outside. <laughs> Billy stormed down the stairs and sat down heavily next to the elf. Beer me, dude. Women, right? My marriage is pretty great, actually. Gotta be real honest with each other. That's odd, but it's worth it. Are your women as much of a pain in the ass as ours? No, but then we don't refer to them as ours. It's like I was saying to my servant. Would you like to tell me what happened at the Lemming? Not really, no. Unhealed spiritual wounds are even more noxious than physical ones. Who says I'm wounded? I'm a woman of letters. I'm not- What the fuck do you know about wounds? I bet you still believe in unbalanced humors and that oslip bullshit, don't you? Oh, yeah, well, I'm sick and tired of pretending I don't know things I goddamn fucking jolly well do. Firstly, 
You should confirm to whom you're speaking, because I doubt this tantrum is meant for me. And secondly, the theory of Oslitz is Incomplete! You don't have protons, neutrons, electrons, anything. That's why you can't do lightning spells, not because they're blasphemous. It's because you need electrons to discharge static electrons. Jen suddenly clamped her hand over her mouth. Oh. Nia recoiled as if physically struck. Galadin, help us, Jen. Is that how the fire started? Did you try to do a lightning spell? Okay, it was like 80% an accident. Back in the tavern, an empty space had widened around Yellowine. <laughs> so have you heard the one I where... think that's enough human jokes for one night, Weenie. Yeah, there's something I don't like about the way you say mem yet. The elf's idea of jokes were mercifully cut off when Nia stormed down the stairs, dragging a clearly unwilling Jen by the wrist. We need to leave this place. What? Why? I'm not going anywhere until I get some sausage down my throat. Let me rephrase that. This is a city of spiritual sickness and I won't abide it poisoning the children. Kaltir, pay our bill. The group left Fallon's in quickly and quietly, heading towards the mountain and its monastery. Their departure was none too soon, as just an hour later, a heavily armored knight rode up to the inn. He was followed by six squires carrying his standard, a green falcon on a white field. Meanwhile, at Castle Guernatal, Ardell and Arlene Redmore were dining with their guest of honor, Antonin of House Mooncrest. Antonin, you will recall, was the chosen match for Arlene in marriage. The Mooncrest contingent had just arrived to the castle, and this meal served as the first introduction of Antonin to Arlene. Arlene Redmore had not spoken a single word since the arrival of the Mooncrest family. Throughout dinner, she did more moving around of food than actual eating. Antonin Mooncrest had been genially chatting with Ardell and the other guests at the table, but could not help but notice his bride-to-be's discomfort. Are you not well, my lady? Or perhaps you are not accustomed to eating with quick sticks? No, it's nothing. Sister, we are eating Lord Mooncrest's favorite dish. You do him insult. Also at the table were Antonin's father, Marcus, and uncle, Julius. The former was the official head of House Mooncrest and had 50 years, but sadly was afflicted such that his mind was in many ways still a child's. The latter was of an age with his brother and assisted Antonin in the actual running of affairs. You must forgive my sister's atrocious manners, my lord. To be terribly honest, Lord Redmore, after a week on the fields of battle, I'm much more concerned with enjoying my betrothal feast than I am with the finer points of etiquette. Ardell Redmore was shocked and disappointed that anyone would decline an opportunity to harass his sister. Well, I suppose there will be a time for discipline later. If you forgive me for saying, my lord, she likely needs fresh air more than discipline. She must have been in her chambers all day preparing, and on the last day of autumn, no less. What do you say, my lady? That would be lovely, my lord. There. You see? Why don't we all go riding before dessert? Politics is an interesting game. Such a simple offer, and yet both the Redmore siblings could not help but hastily calculate outcomes, weigh risks and rewards, and seek unseen implications. Arlene dared not answer without knowing her brother's intentions. Ardell himself was cautious, hoping to avoid a situation that might shift beyond the reach of his manipulation. 
but eventually resolved to speak first. My sister is so terribly skittish. I don't let her near horses, lest the poor stupid things get scared and someone gets hurt. Then we shall take my mare, Sunbeam. The damn nag is too lazy to bother getting scared. I'm sure, but I'm afraid and I must... And it will be a splendid way for my betrothed and me to become better acquainted. With a chaperone, of course. Adele could not find a reasonable excuse to deny Mooncrest, despite his every effort. If you insist, my lord. Arlene smiled for the first time all evening, perceiving that, although the terms of the battle were unclear, somehow her brother had lost anyway. Suddenly, however, the corners of Ardell's mouth twitched upwards. If I may recommend a chaperone. But of course. I cannot speak highly enough of the character of my cousin Ricard. Arlene's smile died suddenly. You remember your cousin Ricard, don't you, sister? You two got along so well at our Neil and I feast. The main path from the Lord's Way up to the monastery on the mountain was narrow, windy, and treacherous. Regan and Brennan were not taking the main path. Instead, they climbed up a back route. Route might be a generous descriptor for what they climbed. It may be more accurate to say mountain. They climbed the mountain. Don't tell me how you know this way. I'd rather quietly deceive myself into thinking my queen has never robbed a monastery. Whatever helps you sleep. Try not to think too hard about priests wearing gold while other people starve. This is a monastery, not a temple. What a value did they keep here? <laughs> Went a goat that happened to be passing by. Yeah, sometimes the spirits of nature have a poignant sense of irony. God, they didn't forgive me. Thunder rumbled ominously in the background. Come on, we gotta be off this path before that storm gets here. And before Friesham gets up the other side. The same thunder peal shook the inside of the monastery. In an upper floor dormitory, Billy, Nelson and Nia slept soundly. Yiluin sat guard, polishing his knives. A fifth bed was empty. Jen had been unable to sleep, and instead found a bell tower where she could look out over the plains. The storm matched her own brooding. Near the front gate, an elderly monk heard footsteps on the path and had gone to the door to welcome any more travellers out of the weather. As the door opened, Frieshelm drove his sword through the monk's chest. He then turned to his men. Remember, we want the elf alive. Everyone else kill on sight. For additional information and bonus content, access onceandfuturenerd.com on your computer machine. New episodes are released every other Sunday. The Once and Future Nerd is written and created by Zach Glass and Christian Madeira, and directed and edited by Christian Madeira. It is performed by Rhiannon Angel, Garrett Armin, Dan Dobransky, Lily Drexler, Hayes Dunlop, Anya Gibeon, Ian Harkins, Paul Notice, Frank Querez, and Julie Reed. It is co-executive produced by Jess Kelly. Alex Story is an associate producer. The Once in Future Nerd is recorded by Brian Forbes at the Gallery Recording Studio in Brooklyn, New York, with second unit production sound by Gary O'Keefe. Foley, sound design, and post-production mixing is done by Sandra Ramirez. Theme music is composed by Tom Lee. 
Thanks for downloading.